0: Hi, I'm Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing that I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 93. Welcome back to the Healing Catalyst podcast, my friends. And for all of you who are new here, and there are so many of you who are new here, I'm Avanti and I'm so happy to have you here with me, spending part of your day with me. Well, it's the end of June. I can hardly believe that half of the year is already over and that shortly after this episode is released, actually the very next day, I'll be going through my final cycle of chemotherapy and then I'll be moving on to the next phase of treatment during this cancer healing journey. Thank you to all of you for being a part of this journey with me. So today we round out our exploration of creativity and our health with my guest Sandeep Morrison, an award-winning queer non-binary Punjabi Sikh actor, writer, and director. A graduate of the American Musical and Dramatic Academy in New York, their work focuses on social justice, sexuality, and gender. A child of Punjabi Sikh immigrants, Sandeep pursues their passion as a storyteller to explore the beautiful and at times very painful complexities of growing up with deep Eastern roots in a Western world. Their celebrated solo show Raghead and new short film Love Story have both received critical acclaim. Sandeep recently also received the award for Best Drama at United Solo in 2022 and was awarded the Disruptors TV Writing Fellowship in 2021, and was proud to be part of the trans and non-binary cohort. In our conversation, Sandeep and I discuss the importance of creative expression through a multitude of platforms. We also talk about the importance of storytelling in exploring personal identity and how storytelling connects us to our own lives, the lives of others, and the world around us. Sandeep also shares about their daily practices that support creativity. This is a really special conversation to me as I first met Sandeep many years ago and have been a huge fan of their work ever since. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Sandeep Morrison about storytelling and the journey of self identity as we explore the connection between creativity and our health. Well, Sandeep, my beautiful sibling, I am so excited to have you on my show. Finally, it's been a long time coming. I know I was on your show three or four years ago, and I have been meaning to have you on mine. So it's just such a pleasure and such an honor to have you. So thank you for
1: doing this with me today. Oh my gosh, thank you for opening your heart space. I'm so honored to be spending this time with you, mighty sister.
0: Oh Well, I mean, the feeling is absolutely mutual. And so we have so much to talk about so many of your beautiful projects that you have been sort of you know, creating over the past few years and your new short film, which I can't wait to talk about. But let's back up and let's start sort of from the beginning. I would love to know, you know, how did you get started on a path of creativity, creative expression? Because you are, you're, you know, doing everything from stage to film to writing and screenwriting. I mean, there's so many things you're doing. How did you get started on this path? And really, you can share anything from your childhood that you want to talk to us about.
1: Yeah, for me, you know, I attribute my love for storytelling to my nanny, my maternal grandmother. Mm. She raised me. And so I spent a lot of time with her. You know, my parents were blue collar immigrants that spent a lot of time working. So that meant that we spent a lot of time with our BG. That's what we called her. And so you know, whether she was cooking or getting ready for prayer or even oiling my hair, she would tell stories. And through those stories, she would weave lessons, life lessons. And sometimes those lessons were cautionary tales. And sometimes those were, you know, tales of hope. And when other aunties and Bee Gees would come over for cha and they would sit in the living room on the floor, I remember. And, and it was just, you know, I got to be in that space of storytelling. And that transported me. So she really set that spark and love of that narrative spark of, of storytelling for me.
0: So, did you write stories when you were younger? Like, how did you get started in in the storytelling world? Because there's so many ways <laughs> you can do that, right?
1: Yeah, we didn't. We didn't have a lot, you know growing up in, in Calgary, Alberta, up in the prairies. And so I'm, you know, one of three, I'm the middle child. I had an older brother and a younger brother, and we spent just a lot of time using our imagination. So I just remember, you know, I was an awkward kid. I didn't have a lot of friends. And so I would just play pretend a lot, you know, and I would, I spent time by myself, but it was really my imagination was my toy because we just didn't, we didn't have a lot. And so it was kind of being a mimic of, and I would get in trouble for this as well as, you know, you know, when we go to auntie's houses or aunties would come over, you know, I would kind of parrot and mimic. And even I remember even through like my mom would get irritated, but she would laugh. Yeah. Because it was, you know, and they'd be like, oh, my gosh. And so it was kind of that play of being a mimic and just being fascinated by the elders. I spent a lot like, you know, my, my grandmother was my elder, obviously, but to spend time with the elders and just get their mannerisms or how they were speaking and. That that was kind of a lot of where the mimicry came in. And then now looking back at it, I was like, oh, that was your first relationship to your imagination. And it was kind of by default because I didn't have a lot of toys or, th- you know, things like that. So so I, I think I made friends. My first friend really was my imagination. Mm,
0: I love that. So beautiful to say it that way. Your first friend was your imagination. I love that. Did you find yourself in school writing or were you in theater or in music? Like, did that get fostered in school or was it just at home for you really?
1: It was, it was at school. I think, you know, when I was in high school, you know, I was, I was kind of a a rough kid, you know, I, I really, my path could have gone either ways. I, I had so much stuff going on at home and I remember it was like in 10th grade. It was such an awkward phase because that first year of high school was just hell for me. Right. And around that time. I didn't have words for my identity, for my queerness, but I was very much in, in my tomboy phase, my hardcore tomboy phase, which is hard for my parents to digest. Uh, I feel like my grandmother was the only one who kind of really saw me, but I, you know, I, I had to navigate my anger. And so I was, was you know, I was getting into fights at school and I was cutting class and the only place, and I know it just sounds like such a cliche, but my creative writing teacher and my drama teacher kind of pulled me aside and were like, hey, you know, when you write, when you buckle down and you write, you can tell a, tell a great story and you have this, why not stick with it? And, and so I remember we went on a retreat and I was like, oh man, I I can miss class. If I go to this writing, <laughs> like this field trip during the day, sign me up. And that was my first kind of exposure to structured storytelling or to see other storytellers, you know, that were, that were, that were doing this for their profession. And so that was a pivotal moment for me because had those teachers not pulled me in, I, I could have landed in a very different spot, but, and I'm still in touch with them to this day, but that was kind of, yeah, right. It's like the right words at the right moment can change your course. So. So I think they saw that in me and they, and then they allowed me to see it in myself.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. You know, teachers are, I mean, they're amazing human beings because they have the power to just change your life in an instant by giving you, you know, some encouragement or seeing something in yourself that you don't see. Right. I think that's true of any human relationship when others see things in you that you don't see and they're able to communicate that to you, it can change your life quite literally. And it's very healing because many times it goes counter to some of the deep-seated beliefs we have about ourselves, right? So you sort of discovered creative writing in high school. And then what happened from there? Because again, you have such a breadth of the creative expression and the different mediums that you've sort of explored. How did you sort of, you know, start figuring out where to, you know, what to land on or where to start or tell us about that journey
1: yeah it was really you know at the end of high school you know I, I went from you know getting into fights and and you know being in the principal's office to graduating valedictorian which i know right but it's i attribute that to my teachers had they not sat me down and said hey you know you're at a fork in the road but um but yeah like so that so that creative spark was always in me but i kept it very secret from my parents because again my parents blue collar immigrants. And I think that a lot of creatives go through the struggle of they see their parents really struggle, you know, like my mom was a seamstress, dad worked the railways, came illegally on someone else's visa, you know, and they really worked hard. And so they had expectations. And I think that was the pressure of, oh man, I have to attain this title, right? Like what my, my job title is going to be, it has to justify their struggle. So, you know, there was the, there was a the pressure of, doctor, a lawyer, engineer, none of which was speaking to my heart at that time. So I was, I was able to kind of be under the radar. And, uh, and it was, it was that final year where a school, an arts, a theater school was auditioning four hours away in Toronto. It was the American Musical and Dramatic Academy. And, uh, and I thought, oh my gosh, you know, these auditions are going to open up in in a few months. And I think it was spring break in high school where I went to New York for the first time to look at schools. And my cousin was there at Fordham studying law. And so my parents were like, okay, you can go be with her. That's reputable. But I had a heart to heart with her and she sat down, Deanna, she was like, what do you really want to do? And I was like, I just want to tell stories. I want to, I want to be on the stage or, you know, and she said, let's go look at these theater schools. So anyhow, I got to tour and again, this was all behind my parents' back. They thought that, oh, maybe Sandeep's gonna go and you know into law, and so that summer, I snuck away, I skipped school for an entire day, took the four hour car trip to Toronto, and I auditioned, and then came back and <laughs> didn't say a word and then fast forward, we get a letter in the mail, and my mom found it, and she goes you know, Aki, New York. She's like, what is this New York scribbled? What is this school? And it was an acceptance letter and my heart sank into my guts and I pleaded with her and she was like, okay, we're going to have to talk to your dad about this. And I was like, there's no way they're letting me go. Right. I was just like, I was like, all right, there's no way they're letting me go. And I, I begged and pleaded and they, they let me go. And my dad, you know, he didn't really talk to me for a year. I was not happy about it, but that going to New York really changed my life because I wasn't anybody's daughter, wasn't anybody's sister. I could just be myself. Mm Wow. Yeah.
0: And so tell us about the journey of, you know, being now in college and being in a, a creative, completely creative space where you're learning about all of these theories and techniques and, you know, how did that shape you? Do you think?
1: I think that, you know, there's no place like New York. I mean, my small town, Canadian, but was in the big city, you know? And here I was in this conservatory, two-year conservatory program where, you know, you were going to learn classic training. You know, I'm classically trained as an actor, but you also, I was in the studio program. So there was musical theater and and the studio program was more geared to full spectrum filmmaking. So everything from, you know, laying down, Narrative beats to a story, to being able to break down a script, to being able to operate a boom mic on someone else's shoot. It was, it was a completely immersive experience. And it was hard because our teachers were like, look, you know, this is what it is. They were very frank. But it, it really shaped me as a human being and showed me that, you know what, there's beauty and power in storytelling. And I think, and I was the only South Asian in our entire program. And I think for the first time, right. So that was another thing to navigate, but also coming into my full queerness and being able to, to explore that part of my identity without being under a microscope of my, you know, my community. It was, it was the biggest boon. It really was. I think it, New York broke me and built me all at the same time. Mm,
0: Yeah. And so as, you know, a queer, non-binary, Punjabi, Sikh person, and you're also a parent, you know, why do you think that storytelling is so important, especially at a time like this in history? I mean, you know, you started this journey many years ago, but I feel like it's become more and more important. But why do you, given your identity, feel that it's so important?
1: I think because, you know, storytelling is, one of the easiest ways to connect to humanity, right? Through our words, our experience. And my goal is if if through storytelling, if I can make you feel something, then maybe I can make you think differently, you know? And that's because stories have changed my life, you know, seeing shades of myself, you know, even when I was young, to, to the, the kind of semblance that I got of my existence, it was, that can change your course. So that's, I have always felt that, you know, when I watch something or read something and I can feel something, I carry that.
0: Do you think the storytelling helped you sort of deepen your own connection to your own identity while
1: you were in Yeah, because I, th- yeah, because I think that I played shades of myself. I think that's what happens to, to especially queer, you know, queer kids of color, you know is that we, especially South Asian kids, Punjabi kids, is that we play parts of ourselves. We we play kind of these shades. And then, and then we, we if we have the privilege, because I know being out is a privilege, but then we kind of step into our fullness much later on in life. At least that's what happened to me. I played the part of the, you know, the disciplined Punjabi sick daughter for a long time. Our, our parents were like we grew up in a very cutter sick, hardcore sick community, especially when we moved to Toronto and that was difficult. And I think that I distance myself from a lot of parts that are now the most sacred for me that I'm reconnecting to my Sikhi because Sikhi was first presented with a very, you know, strict patriarchal lens. And now it's, I'm learning, I'm unlearning a lot and reconnecting with those deep parts of myself. So, so I think that the storytelling is, is healing for me too, because I, I leave that stage different every time.
0: So how do you nurture your creativity and on a daily basis? Like, what do you do to nurture your creativity?
1: I think it's good to, it's important to do nothing. Mm. <laughs> you know, I, I try to pad time for play and I think, you know, you mentioned, and you're a fellow mom, you understand you've got amazing kiddos, but my kids are so moment to moment that, uh, that it's it's interesting. It was actually in an exercise where someone was like, Oh, you know, when you have writer's block or you're you're kind of frustrated or you feel stuck, how do you unstuck yourself? And it was, it was one of my mentors who said, you know what, find a form of play in a different form of art. I was like, Well, what's that? What's that mean? And I said, you know what, you've got kiddos, grab some Legos, scribble, paint, you know, squeeze play-doh or like go be outside or do nothing. So I think I have to remind myself to disengage, but but my kids, they help me to remember to play.
0: The play is really a key piece of creativity. I would agree with you. I think that it, it allows you to go to sort of this earlier part of yourself when you were less inhibited, because I do think that some of the creativity blocks that we talk about is being inhibited, right? Being worried about what is the world going to think about what I'm writing or creating or painting, right? And then it becomes more about trying to please this other person outside of you rather than doing it for your own soul, for your own healing, for your own well being. And so the play allows you to step outside of yourself a little bit and get out of your own head, get out of your own way in a way. I don't know if that, that resonates at
1: all. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that's that's a constant reminder too, is because, you know, I'm not I like structured writing for me is I I throw everything on the page first and then I organize it, you know, because if I start with structure, I'm already blocking myself. You know what I mean? Because there's, and I know that a lot of writers or storytellers, they work first with structure, but for me, it's, it's throwing everything up against the wall and then cleaning it up later. And, you know, kids are messy. They don't care. <laughs> They're in the moment creating and, and you know, So I, so I think it's, it's important to to be messy too and know that your first iteration of whatever you're doing is not going to be your last. For sure.
0: For sure. That's definitely that, that's a hard one for me as such a perfectionist, you know, when I've been writing my book and the first book and now writing a second book, it's, it's sometimes is really hard. You know, it's like, I want to, I want to get it perfect the first time I write it. And I'm like, got to let go of that, that perfectionism. So I totally identify with what you're saying. So I want to talk about some of your work that has touched me so deeply. So a little background for the listeners. You and I met through my son, Zane, actually. You met Zane when he was in college out in California at, I think you were performing actually at his undergrad campus, Claremont Colleges. And he met you through, I think a discussion or something after and you hit it off. And, and then the next time you came to campus, I think he opened for you with a piece of poetry. Yes. And yes. I remember being so touched by just his telling me about that experience of talking to you and sort of you mentoring him in this beautiful way. And I reached out to you over Instagram and and we developed a relationship. And it came to yourself, Raghead. So you were in Milwaukee doing your solo show. Yeah. And me and Kunwar and Zane and Isha, we all four came to see the performance and we were blown away. So I really want to talk about this show. Can you give a little background about what Raghead is about first, and then we'll talk about it?
1: Sure, sure. But shout out to Zane. Uh, <laughs> he's he's just magical. He's just magical. And I just, at that time and, and our connecting was so special that, you know, and kudos to both of you as parents. I mean, he, he's such a spark in the world. He really is. And so and yeah, for Reghead, you know, Reghead was was born uh, out of out of anger and sadness and despair. You know, I was in a I was in a writer's group and when the events unfolded, you know, I was here in LA with my daughter. My daughter was two at the time. I remember we were playing in the backyard. And I, you know, I got a call from my younger brother who's in in Milwaukee. And, you know, I could just hear his voice. He's speaking a mile a minute. He's like, you know, things happen, turn on the news, turn on the news. And I I went and turned on the news and I was watching the events unfold that there had been a shooting at the Sikh Temple, you know, in all, all of Wisconsin, there's only three places of worship. And my parents, like many Sikhs, every Sunday go to Gurdwara and and I know that, you know, I don't call them for a certain block of time because my mom does kirtan, she sings devotional music, or they're doing seva. And so for about an hour we couldn't get a hold of them. And it was one of the toughest hours of my life because we just didn't know which gordoire they'd gone to if they were safe or okay we knew there was a gunman who'd gone in and about after an hour uh, my mom called and i felt like i could breathe and she said that she was okay but that we had lost we had lost a lot of people and i was just so angry i just remember being so angry that you know at a place that our you know you know our doors are open for gordoire like we welcome everyone in and I thought, how dare a like, place where my parents go and pray that they're not safe there? Where are they safe? You know, and, and so I, I started writing. Uh, it just came out as a short story because I thought you know, of my, my brothers. I thought of my dad. I thought of my mom. I thought of my cousins. And could just how we had to become hyper patriotic after 9-11 and how that felt so unfair that they, you know, we had to prove our Americanness. And so from that writing exercise, that's where Raghead was born. And it was just for me to purge something on the page. And I had first had no intentions of sharing it. Um, and then I remember sharing it in group. And they were like, you know what, you should should put this out. And it felt very raw. It felt, you know, because it was my, my family and I was a little hesitant, but, but then it, I ended up formulating it. And that's what turns into the solo show.
0: And so were you surprised at how it was received when you when you toured it? And how was it received? I I know how it was received in Milwaukee because I was there when you performed it. I don't think that was the first time you had performed it there, but I was there and I just remember that feeling that you were talking about, that creating the feeling among people. And it wasn't only South Asians in the audience. It was a lot of non-South Asians and the feeling that people had it was palpable. And for me and and my family who, you know, we live in Chicago and my in-laws at the time were in Wisconsin. They used to go to the Oak Creek Gridwara. So the same thing that morning, we were trying to figure out if they were there and they had not gone that morning. They weren't feeling well. One of them wasn't feeling well, but I remember the panic that set in for all of us as well. But how was it received? I mean, it was received in a very beautiful very powerful way when i was present in the audience but how was it received by people
1: i've been really great grateful and fortunate it's been received very beautifully you know and and i think that for me writing it it was always you know with the intention to write it for uh, white white audiences are are the people that need to see it we know our struggle we know what, what our community has gone through so it really is an advocacy piece for non-South Asians, non-Six to come and see it and and really think about it and, and disrupt those narratives, that soft racism that happens over a barbecue or, you know, or that soft racism that happens at the workplace that can turn into something far uglier. So when I, when I brought it to Wisconsin, it was actually the 10-year remembrance of the shooting. And so for, for me to bring it, it was that performance where, where you're in attendance, to, for me to bring it to that community and inspired it was really, was really a big moment in my life. But I have, I've been grateful for how it's been received. I think because of the title early on, when I was, you know, kind of formulating it here in LA, we did get a lot of hate because, you know, the title is a purposely chosen. It's a pejorative and I wanted to flip it on its head. And so we had some Nazi groups and some white supremacist groups that thought that it was a sympathizing piece. And when they found out that it was completely antithetical to what they believed, there was some, there was some hate, you know, but, and that did get scary at times, but for the most part, the response has always been very powerful. And I'm, I'm grateful people that it resonates.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's that storytelling that you're talking about that when you can create that connection with people, it allows them to lean in a little bit. And maybe think about things differently, like you said. And, and yes, change their minds or not, but at least you're getting people to think about our shared humanity. That's what I think is so powerful in, in creativity, in art, uh, in storytelling, is the ability to connect with other humans on that human level. And touch some part of them that may not be what's up in their head and all the preconceived notions they have about other people, but what they feel in their hearts deeply as human beings, something so much more primal. And I know it's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. And so I would love to talk about your new short film, Your Love. I was so honored because I got to see it. It's a very short film. I didn't know that it was only like three minutes long, but it is so beautiful and so powerful so talk to us about this new this new project this just got released right or it's not even released yet
1: yeah, yeah we it's it's so near and dear to my heart uh, your love so we just had our our world premiere in mumbai at the Gushish film festival and that was congratulations that was a life-changing experience amazing thank you thank you <laughs> it was it was so wild to to have it screened in a theater full of queer brown people. And it was just, it was amazing. But the way the story started was there's a Vancouver based producer convict who I'm a huge fan of, who does a lot of phenomenal remixes and of Punjabi folk songs, Sufi music, just everything. And, and so his, his team reached out to me and they wanted to do a queer love storyline. And the song that he had remixed was Pyar" by Noor Jahan. And there's been different iterations of it but the song translates into it's and it translates into if i have your one love then what do i need from the world and it was a song that connected my mom and i because she's a huge music buff and so they had a rough treatment in place and i was hired on as a script consultant and i saw it and i gave them my notes and you know it was from a, a cis-heteronormative perspective, and <laughs> I was very honest, and they were very open too. They're like, "Just give us notes," and so I gave them my notes, and then they reached back to me, and they said, "We would love for you to write the script." And I was like, "I would love to do this because the song was personal." And I and then listening to it, I thought, "Okay, I have three minutes and 18 seconds to tell a story. What story do I want to tell?" And I've been thinking. I was inspired by the story of a South Asian woman, a Punjabi woman in her who, 60s, who came out and came out as a lesbian. And I thought, wow, you know, that's what a life moment to to step into your fullness at that juncture, you know? And so I started thinking about all the elders, all the, the queer elders in our community, but especially the invisible ones who never had, you know, their love stories told or their love stories are forgotten. And so that's what inspired me to write this 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 short film slash music video it is my love letter to our queer elders and their untold and forgotten love stories and that's that's how it happened and I wanted to show you know queer Punjabi love which I had never seen and uh, older queer love Punjabi love and so it was it was amazing and then we crewed up and shot out here in L A and I asked to direct it's my directing debut amazing <laughs> and it was yeah it was an amazing experience we shot over two days here and. You know, the majority of our cast and crew were queer and trans and, you know, POC. And so it was a, it was an amazing experience, but yeah, to see how the story has been received is, is, I'm just really grateful, but, but it was, it was a beautiful time to tell this really personal story.
0: Yeah. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. And so does it, how does, I don't even know how these things work. I'm in such a different world of, you know, of, of health and wellness and wellbeing and medicine. How does this work? Do you, do you release it or how do, how will people be able to actually see it?
1: Right. So we, it's unreleased right now. We're going, we're in the festival circuit. And, and then after we kind of do our festival circuit, because a lot of the, the festivals, you know, they require premiere access where they don't want it to be screened, mm-hmm. but we will be, we will be releasing it hopefully you know to everybody in the fall but right now we've just it's been an amazing ride to be in festivals and to see and feel the response to the story that's mm-hmm. what always makes my heart feel really full
0: yeah and so how did you tell us about the process of developing those characters right you know so one of the things that's coming up for me is that you know there's such a i mean it's only 3 minutes and 18 seconds as you said but when you watch it because i've had the privilege of watching it it is i i I connected so deeply with these characters, even though it's such a short amount of time. I don't know how you did that. Like, how did you do that? Because I almost felt like I could feel so much of their emotions, but it was almost like you portrayed these human beings in all of their dimension, mind, body, spirit. And that is such a theme in Ayurveda, right? We talk about in Ayurveda about the connection between mind, body, spirit, and looking at people as whole human beings and we're treating them when we're talking about health and wellness. Right. And so that was something I was thinking about because there's also a lot of nature element in, in this film, in this short film. And so it just took me to that, that place of nature and Ayurveda and mind, body, spirit. So how did you develop, like, how did you do that? I'm amazed. How did you do that?
1: Oh, Without, without giving any spoilers. Yeah. uh, It was, you know, it was really the moment of, I wanted to tell a love story. I wanted to tell a love story. And I, you know, for us, especially in our cultures with Bollywood, but even beyond Bollywood with Punjabi cinema and serials, visual storytelling is so ingrained in our culture, right? The visuals. And so for me, aesthetically, you know, I wanted it to look romantic. I wanted to see the lush greenery because I always feel that in South Asian storytelling and cinema, especially the location is like another character, right? And so I wanted to show these two lovers because we've seen so many, you know, narratives where it's boy falls in love with girl, girl falls in love with boy and they are torn apart, right? And then we, we find out if they get reunited later on or if they don't. But so for me, I wanted to create these three dimensional characters. And I knew I had a very short span of time, but I wanted to give a peek into their lives uh, and their fullness and their relationship to each other and even just through nuance. Uh, and so that was my that was my goal of just to show two people that were in love that were in love and but didn't, you know, didn't get the support that they needed and and then we kind of see how the story unfolds. But but yeah, I, I just wanted to show just two, two souls in love.
0: You did a beautiful job. And so take us through sort of what the creative process is in doing something like this. Cause I'm sure for a lot of the listeners of this podcast, they may not know how this works. I know I don't. So it's a little different because you were approached with music with a soundtrack. Right. And then you were asked to create a story to go with it. So how does that, how do you even begin to I mean, you develop a story, but then like, what happens with, you know, then do you write a script or, I mean, I know this sounds very, very elementary, but I I have no idea how this works even.
1: No, 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 no. It was, you know, like this was, this was an interesting and new process for me as well. I just remember when they sent me the song, you know, I read, I read the treatment that was in place and it was very, you know, very different direction. But I remember uh, just lying down and listening to the song and the visuals came and I just, I saw the ending before I saw the beginning. And sometimes that happens of like, oh, this is how it's going to end. And how am I going to work towards the middle? And so then when I was hired on as the writer, I did that. I just went for, uh, I went for a lot of long walks and the ideas came, but it was, I was in nature. I was walking in Griffith Park here, actually in LA and listening to the song and And then it came to me and I just kind of like, I had my notebook in and I was like, okay, stop. And this is going to be your beat one, your act one, your act two, act three, even though it was like three minutes, (laughs) but I was like, it's going to start here, beginning, middle end, but the ending came to me first and I just threw it all on the page. And with a, it was interesting because it was my first AV audiovisual script because there is no dialogue, right? So there's a lot of improv that took place. And so the actors, Anjali Kurana and Sumeya Bage are just phenomenal. And Mona Shasodi and Sunnyam actors are just phenomenal and they shine on screen. And so it was more of the emotion of it, of the beats. And so the audiovisual script was just, you know, it was it was like scene for stanza. So at this at this second mark, you're going to see this scene. And at this second mark, this beat's going to come in. And so I, you know, I did a few passes of 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 doing that of an audiovisual script and and I was just really grateful it all (laughs) worked out because you 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 know you you don't know really but but the shoot the shoot had its challenges we were actually we were actually slated to shoot six months before and and I lost my mom my mom actually the day that we were we were crewing up I got a call from my brother early, early as, as we were preparing to head to set and, um, and we found out my mom had had a massive heart attack and she was in ICU. And so we, we halted production and I was with her for the four days where she, you know, she fought hard and ultimately her body was tired. And so she, she passed, but I was I was at least able to share the script with her, and I think that was that's a moment I'll carry. Is I played the song with for her, and she amazed immediately was like, "Ah, that's asard, our you know, which is like she's like, "This is our song," which is how she would talk about songs that would hit her heart. And then when I when I shared the queer love storyline, she goes, "Oh, dokurinang," which means two girls, and I said, "Yeah, mom," and she goes, "A chatika," she was like, she's like, "All right, cool, okay." So it was, it was getting her blessing, but then, you know, I did take pause because, you know, I was like, Oh, what do I have the capacity for? But this was a story that, uh, that I wanted to see through. So, so yeah, it's got, it's really near and dear because it was, it was one of the last ones that I shared with her.
0: Thank you for sharing that. It's really beautiful. Feels sort of full circle, right. To be able to share that with your mom in that beautiful way. So what's the next creative endeavor? What's next that you're doing? I know you're busy promoting this at the film festivals, but I have a feeling you have something up your sleeve right now. I do.
1: I do. I'm working on my first feature. And yeah, it's a a sibling story. And it's shifting gears. It's a little bit of a comedy, dark comedy. And so it's a story that's been kind of percolating in my system of, you know, kind of looking at the, uh, you know, just, just a regular story of siblings that aren't extraordinary by society's measure, but are about to embark on an extraordinary journey with each other. And so I've always loved this, the, uh, the pull of the underdog story. And, and so that's working away on that and, and, yeah, just trying to find, find time to, to get inspiration wherever I can.
0: Mm, amazing,
1: amazing.
0: And so, if you had one piece of advice for people who are listening who really want to explore their creativity, especially for their well being, because I do think that, you know, this idea of how creativity affects our health and our well being is a big one. What would be a piece of advice that you'd give them?
1: Oh, you know, it's something my grandmother always said. She always said, when you talk about it, you know, you release it. And she would always say, Hambar which means I'm trying to translate the Punjabi word for hambar, but it's like anything that's built up in your guts, right? Like you have to let that, that out. Mm-hmm. And so I always thought, oh my gosh, if I don't let my stories out, where will they end up in my digestive tract? Mm-hmm. <laughs> which sounds no, it's true. But I always thought, and and what I say is, you know, now now having, you know, I work a lot with youth but just sharing with people, I always remind them. I'm like, every, everybody has magic in them, you know, and that's going to sound so LA, but I'm never going to be able to tell a story like you. You're never going to be able to tell a story like me, but we all have stories. And then I remind myself that, you know, if I do say something on my soapbox, it's this, is that there's so much cis-heteronormative mediocrity that is putting content out. And these, these souls, they never, you know, they get passed from idea to conception and then they go to execution, right? Where we get stuck at the concept. We get stuck at asking ourselves, is it good enough? You know, should I even put this out? And I say, grab a camera, grab that piece of paper, wherever way you're going to get your story out, you know, even if it's just voice recording, put it out in the world, you know, and, and that pressure of it having to be perfect. It's, No, uh, tell yourself that, you know what, you're allowed to fail forward. You know what I mean? We, We are allowed to fail forward, but put it out there because you deserve to have it out there. Because if your stories get stuck inside you, you know, I think that that's when it can manifest in a different way. But that would be that would mean by my advice, write what you know and and let it out. Yeah.
0: No, I couldn't agree more. It's, it's absolutely so much of what we talk about on this podcast is, you know, really processing and digesting emotions, experiences, sharing, because it is just that when these emotions, because your story has emotion, right? It means something to you. Even if it's a false belief, it, it has deep meaning, right? False beliefs are also Uh, deep, even, you know, if they can be harmful to you, if you keep them inside. So it's really important to process them. And for many people, processing them means storytelling, you know, writing it, creating it. And so I think that that is really sort of the thread there of how creativity affects our health, is that when we keep these things inside, they literally get stuck in our chakra centers. They get stuck in our energetic body and cause blockages and cause then the symptoms, illnesses, and diseases to accrue. Because we believe in Ayurveda that the energetic body is the blueprint for the human body. And so, you know, I know for myself going through this cancer healing journey that I'm on, I've had to spend a lot of time thinking about the stories that I've told myself And what have I not shared? What have I not released? And how those stories served me, how they hurt me. And I know for sure there are stories that I have kept inside that I know have, you know, contributed to what I'm going through now. And that's okay. It's a learning process. But I think it's just so important to think about that and how it's not just emotions, but it's also the stories that we tell ourselves that we need to share with other people or just get out of ourselves. I agree. Your grandmother was very wise to say it that way. (laughs) It's very, very wise. Yeah. Yeah. So I just have a couple of questions that I'd love to do at the end, which is just some speed round questions with you, which are fun questions so that, you know, listeners can get to know you a little bit better. Is that okay with you? Are you up for this? They're not hard. I'm so down. I
1: I love this time with you.
0: Amazing. Okay. So complete this sentence. Storytelling is. Alchemy. Hmm. Ugh. That's good. Wow. What is one myth about story that we need to change? Structure. Yeah. What is something that people often got wrong about you?
1: That they could keep me small.
0: That is so far from the truth. No one can keep you small. You are a force to be reckoned with, my dear. What is something that most people don't know about you?
1: I'm very sensitive. Mm. Mm. I'm super sensitive. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. What book is on your nightstand right now?
1: Mm. <laughs> All About Love, bell hooks. I'm rereading.
0: Great book. <laughs> That's a classic. Love it. Yeah. What is a song that you're listening to on repeat right now?
1: Ooh, it's uh, Beyonce can't break my soul. I know. That's a good song. That's a really good song. It's been my anthem. Has it? It's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one.
0: Sandeep, thank you so much for doing this with me. I have loved every minute of being in this conversation with you and for opening your heart to me. So thank you. Thanks again for listening to The Healing Catalyst. If you love what you heard, please hit follow and pass it along to a friend. And if you're feeling really inspired, please rate and review so that others can find this podcast more easily. To learn more, head to avantikumarsingh.com. And to connect with me directly, find me on Instagram at avantikumarsingh. I'll be back next week and hope that you will be too. Until then, remember, with the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing because healing starts within.